know, it's a good thing, Randall, we decided to record tonight's podcast today, Wednesday night, because after a real tough Memorial Day there on Monday, two losses to the Brewers, Cubs get back in the win column. Yesterday and just moments ago, a walk-off victory against the Milwaukee Brewers. This is number 71 of Behind the Yellow Line. Randall, we do this Monday night. We're both in a bad mood. We wait a couple days, and Cubs actually playing some fun baseball the last two days. Well, beating a division opponent always makes it more fun, especially a a division opponent who is in first place, and especially a division opponent who is in first place and won the first two games of a four game series sweeping a holiday double header. Like there's, I don't want to say there's nowhere to go, but up from there, but that's a big swing. Like those win probability graphs like that, that line went way up and and stayed there. Monday was tough. Uh, I love holiday baseball. I actually think it's awesome to get a double header on Memorial day. When I was a kid, I always thought it would be cool if baseball scheduled double headers on Memorial day, 4th of July, Labor day, the big summer days, should be all day baseball, but when you lose in 18 innings to the Milwaukee Brewers, it kind of sucks a little bit of that holiday out of you. And that's how I felt at least on Monday. So very excited to see the Cubs bounce back the last two nights. Uh, lots to talk about on the podcast here this evening. The Cubs split the two game set on the south side. Some good things in there we certainly want to talk about. Uh, also, and this has really been the case throughout the month of May for the Cubs. Debut after debut after debut. So we'll pick some of the guys that we've been particularly impressed with. Uh, We've got an upcoming weather forecast for this five-game set against St. Louis and the Cubs' quick trip out to Baltimore. And as we shift here into the calendar month of June, we will all pick our favorite moment from May. So we'll look back and celebrate on kind of a tough month for the Cubs But there's always things to be happy about and excited about, and we'll share our favorite moment from the month of May. Randall, good to see you tonight. I think Jeremy has logged in here. Jeremy, how are you this evening? I'm good. You guys uh, hear me all right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were just celebrating here, Jeremy, back-to-back wins to get this series split against the Brewers. The Brewers have really uh, identified themselves as the top team in the National League Central. This is the team that has a chance at 100 wins this year. So to win on Tuesday night, to walk off here on Wednesday, feels good to knock off the Brewers the last two, Jeremy. Oh, I I think it feels great. I mean, the Cubs have been kind of struggling in these one-run games uh, of late, actually all season. So it's nice to get two of those wins in a row and and a nice walk-off win. The kid Christopher Morrell got it done. So Yeah, I think it's a good feeling to finally come to a pod after last week's 20 to 5 loss. You come in off a 4 3 walk off at home against the Brewers. That's a good feeling. Absolutely. And speaking of Christopher Morrell, he has reached base, Randall, in every single game he has appeared in. Of all the things that we could have guessed or said about Christopher Morrell, that's got to be the most impressive, I think, at this point. Absolutely. We we went over this last week, but, you know, uh, Christopher Morrell's been around a little while. He's not. Uh, you know, he he wasn't just drafted last year. He wasn't just signed last year. He's been around for quite a while. He played his first game in the Cubs system going back to 2017. And, you know, that's the Dominican Summer League. So, But he played his first games stateside in 2018. So the book's out on him for a while. In uh, plate appearance-wise, in 1,345 minor league plate appearances, he had an on-base percentage of 313. And he's currently putting up 387 
at the major league level, the, the patience, you know, he, it, it was not advertised as part of his skill set. but in these two strike counts, he, you can see, he locks in, he doesn't swing at bad pitches. He doesn't chase. And it's just part of his skill set that absolutely was not expected or advertised. And it's made him quietly a very effective leadoff hitter. You know, it, it, like with Suzuki, the pendulum is going to swing back at some point. He's only been in the majors for 14 games. I, I don't know if that's including tonight or not. He's been in the majors for about two weeks now. Um, you know, the pendulum is going to swing back. The book's going to come out on him. They're going to start attacking him different ways. And that probably isn't going to continue. But for as long as it is continuing, you've got yourself a leadoff hitter. He walks. He takes close pitches. He puts up 10 pitch at bats. He hits the ball hard. He's got a little bit of power. He's got speed. You know, I, I, again, it's not going to stay this way, but that's everything you want in a leadoff hitter. Uh, yeah. I'm still skeptical of, uh, of uh, Morrell as that guy, but you know, every, for as long as he's up and he's earning more playing time as he goes, you know, if he's showing those steps that he can be that guy who can take pitches at working at bat, take a nice approach that, you know, it's, I'm always skeptical of like guys who are raw skill, but they don't have any discipline, but it's nice to see a guy who's actually showing something. And the fact that he's showing early steps, it's like, maybe that could continue. Maybe you can continue to grow from that. And with this team, as we have all we have now, it's like, you, you should have that opportunity to see him. So I think he's earned, as we said last week, he's earned a ton of more playing time uh, as the season goes on. Completely. And Ross said that with, and we'll get into this later with Suzuki hurt Hayward back Morell is going to be your primary center fielder, at least for the time being. And yeah, there's every reason to be skeptical when a guy doesn't really show a tool throughout 1300 minor league plate appearances, and then suddenly starts doing it at the major league level. There is every reason to be skeptical, but like you said, for as long as he's doing this, keep utilizing him in that spot. There's no reason not to until he shows he can't handle it. I think the other thing too, just from a fan standpoint, this is a lot more satisfying than what we've seen maybe the last year or so. Like, I'm not going to sit here and rag on Hayward. We all know how I feel and how we feel collectively as a podcast about Hayward. And he scored the game-winning run tonight. So that's cool and exciting and all that. But at least with Morrell, it's like, let's see what's here and let's see if this guy's going to be a part of the next good Cubs team. And I don't necessarily feel that way about Ortega. I don't necessarily feel that way when I see uh, Hermosillo out on the field for the Cubs. Morrell is a guy who, like you, Jeremy... I'm skeptical about his long-term ability to be, to be a consistent major league hitter, but it's far more interesting for me as a fan to see him out there competing, seeing what's there than some of these veterans that are clearly on the back end of their career. And I wish as a Cubs fan, that wasn't what we were celebrating here in June. I wish we were still saying, hey, this is a team that could make a push to the playoffs, but the reality is what it is. And if this is going to be a lost season, let's make it less of a lost season by seeing what some of these minor leaguers can do. And that's what morell has been doing. And it's fun seeing a young guy out there having great moments early in his career. Right. You have known quantity versus unknown quantity with potential. Neither one is that interesting because the unknown quantity could just as easily turn out to be disappointing, but there's no reason not to find out and try and quantify that, that, that unknown possibility in that player. And there, there's no reason not to get Morell continued plate appearances over Hayward. Again, Morell could be a very useful major league player. Good, you know, is relative, but you can be useful without being great. Hayward is not at the point where he's good or particularly useful 
for the most part anymore. There's no reason not to give continue giving Christopher Morell at bats to try and bear out what you think the skill set can be at the major league level. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I think that uh, Morell definitely is like your leadoff hitter for the time going forward until maybe he shows that you know, the book's out on a little bit and then they'll have to adjust. But for now you give them as long a leash as you possibly can, I think. And I think it's interesting for the, where the Cubs are now. And, you know, this point in June where we're going to start pretty soon getting towards the second half of the season. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of mid tier prospects like morale. None of the, the top guys, most of the top guys are obviously really young. Unfortunately, Brennan Davis has an injury. He's been out. So he hasn't really been producing, but we're going to see this kind of Christopher morale level. Uh, Nelson Velasquez came up for the double header the other day. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, we all want to see Caleb Killian and I don't know how high a tier he is, but he's going to be another guy. We're seeing Brandon Hughes come up working out of the bullpen. Um, so I think there's a lot of these kind of younger kind of interesting guys that the Cubs Cubs has never really quite had in that mid tier prospect that are going to come up and say, Hey, maybe these guys can be major league contributors. Maybe they're going to be on this major league roster for the second half of the season. I still would consider like Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson as those types of guys. And maybe these are guys that can fit in somewhere on like the fringes of the next great Cubs team. Like they're going to be, maybe they will be a reliable, you know, you know, extra man, maybe they will be a reliable starter, like a two war guy. So uh, I think that's kind of this interesting phase that the Cubs are going to be in from June to the second half of the season. When we start seeing some of these type of mid tier prospects come up and I agree with you, they're definitely more interesting than, you know, your run of the mill, Jason Hayward, all the guys in the bullpen, Michael Givens. But I still think some of those guys will get playing time just to showcase them. And the, again, we've seen good Cubs teams do very well with players who can be very versatile and are not complete black holes with the bat. Again, I don't think Morell's ceiling is necessarily starting player, but a guy who can start at center, short, second, third, not embarrass himself at any of those four positions and hit with decent exit velocity, a little bit of power and can run. That's a very useful player on a good team. A guy who maybe starts two times a week and otherwise does a lot of good things off the bench. And, you know, in a perfect world, you're taking a look at prospects who can maybe end up in the starting lineup at some point. But until those guys come up again, there's no reason not to get a look at these guys who could still be contributors in at some level on the, you know, the proverbial next great Cubs team. So I'm, yeah. I'm pro Christopher Morell. I am pro mushroom. Totally. Uh, I figured you would be, Randall. That's uh, certainly up your wheelhouse uh, and mine, actually, as well. Uh, other things sort of extending on that as well. For different reasons. For slightly different reasons. Uh, extending off that a little bit, some major league players that are also sort of, let's see what's their... Nick Madrigal at second base, getting him back. The guy's hitting 200 in 20-something games with the Cubs. This isn't Nick Madrigal, right? I'm under no illusion this guy's going to be a perennial all-star or a slugger at any point in his career, but he's going to be a better hitter than 200. So we're going to get to see some of him. And then, of course, Nico at short. It's shortstop's his for the rest of the way. So Nico can go out and show us what he's got, a reference Jeremy gets here in the second half of the season and start to see what pieces are going to impact that 2023 Chicago Cubs team. Um, one more thing from the homestand that I wanted to point out, just from a satisfaction standpoint, the Tuesday night game, especially after the doubleheader loss Monday, for the Cubs to come back from three different deficits in winning that ball game. There's not a lot of fun this year against Milwaukee. I'm going to take it where I'm going to get it. And coming back multiple times on the Brewers, always satisfying. Not just coming back. That is the first deficit of more than one run they have erased wow. this season. 
That is the first time they have come back from more than one run down in a, in a ball game this season. I don't think that's even qualified with in a game that they win. I believe that's total. It, there has not been a whole lot of uh, resilience to this Cubs team this year. So that makes it extra satisfying even more so. I just, right. just want to oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just want to say, though, you know, we've all been down on this Cubs team, right? And this Cubs team, you know, the record's poor. It hasn't really been a great season to watch it. But I would say they've played a lot of competitive games. I know there was the 20 to five loss uh, last last week, but they've mostly been in a lot of competitive games. And unfortunately, those games haven't broken their way. I mean, their one red record is terrible, and that's mostly a function of things outside of their control. So, I mean, right now, I think, what, their run differential is minus six. Um, obviously, a negative run differential, but pretty much about 500. an average, you know, yeah. a 500 team, which is kind of the way they've played for two months or so. So, it's been a competitive team. They've been in competitive games. They've been in enough competitive games, you know, for those Randall juices to get going on Twitter. I saw today that, Randall, <laughs> you're, you're joining the dark side like me in the anti-replay how about oh. that? Randall only, the dark side. Only so that replay. Craig Council can't use it. Three replays in one game. You know, the guy who goes to the manager and demands, demands to speak to the manager. You're the manager, Craig. Nobody wants to speak with you. Get back in the dugout. Yeah, I, well, I, I'll take all the help I can get, even if it's only against Craig Council. But uh, I just wanted to point out, you know, I, we've all been down, pretty, pretty down on this team. But they have played a lot of competitive games. And, I, and hopefully they'll play some more competitive games. And that one-run record will kind of start to flip over time. I hope so. I hope so. Here's something that has caught my attention in the last two weeks or so. The Cubs are running every game. In fact, 12 consecutive games, the Cubs have stolen at least one base. They had the double steal earlier in the ball game today. This is the longest stretch of the Cubs active on the base path since April of 1989. We've talked a lot on this show. Running's not part of the sport like it was in the 90s or certainly in the 80s. Are we surprised that the Cubs are this aggressive on the base paths? Honestly, no. Oh, for for as many double plays as they've grounded into, for as much as they hit the ball on the ground, you know, basically the only thing this team does really well is make contact, and it's not always good contact. I'm really not surprised that Ross is putting the runners in motion more, trying to stay out of those double plays, and on the occasion where you can actually get a base hit, that uh, that does better things for your offense. So I don't know that the Cubs necessarily have the the players to keep running like this. Cause you know, Wilson Contreras, he, he loves to run, even though he's not always great at stealing bases or taking that extra base. So I don't know if the Cubs necessarily have the personnel to keep doing this, but I'm really not that surprised that Ross is, is putting the runners in motion more often trying to stay out of those double plays as the Cubs continue to make unproductive contact on the ground. Jeremy, uh, I'm not, I'm not super surprised, but I, I, I do think that, you know, as compared to years past, I, th I think this is definitely a much more athletic running team than on the roster than we, what we've seen. I mean, Nico, when Madrigal's healthy, uh, Ortega on at top, or Morel now. Uh, as you said, Wilson loves to run. He ran into an out today that, unfortunately, he got the run in, but not making that third out at, at uh, third base, not always the best. So, yeah, I, I just think they have kind of more tools to run uh, now, now, but, you know, it's something we haven't really seen from the Cubs in the past a lot, but I'm, I, it kind of intrigues me. Like it's, you know, if you're running into outs, that's obviously not good, yeah. but if you can, if you can take that extra base, if you can get there, like, let's say on a stolen base, 75% clip, that's worth it. So, I mean, not a lot of guys can do it, but if you have guys that can do it, then go ahead and do it. So I, I think it's kind of an intriguing little feature of this team we've seen. Yeah. 
and I hope it just uh, bodes well for the future of the sport. Baseball is better when there's more action on the base paths. And the last 10, 15 years or so, the sport's gotten it, not just away from stolen bases, it's basically disappeared. We know Major League Baseball wants to get creative with it. We're hearing the size of the bases could be larger as soon as next season. Whatever it takes to get some more movement on the base paths, I think that's a good thing. It just keeps the action going. And it is fun seeing Wilson Contreras pick up a couple of stolen bases, catch around the run. Always a lot of fun to see here. Um, One of the big things that we learned in May from this Cubs team is they're very injured, and there's a lot of young players that are making their major league debuts. The Cubs opened the month of June with 14 players on the injured list. We had about a half dozen players make their major league debut or at least be young players contributing to the Cubs last month. Of all of the debuts, Jeremy, I'm taking a guess here. I think the one that maybe you're most emotional or romantic, dare I say, about is Anderson Espinosa. I think that's the one that for you was like, man, I love baseball, and this is a pretty cool story. Yeah, it's definitely a pretty cool story. I mean, Anderson Espinosa at one point was a top 20 prospect in baseball. He was considered, if not the top pitching prospect, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. And it was like a big deal when he was traded for Drew Pomerantz from the uh, Red Sox to the Padres, uh, a trade that actually A.J. Preller got suspended because he he hid how hurt Drew Pomerantz was. And he had, ended up being suspended for a month. And so for to see him after two Tommy John surgeries, he hadn't really pitched much in the Padres system after they acquired him. Uh, he was moved around. He ended up getting shipped to the Cubs for – Jake Marisnik, you know, that's a, that's a far cry from being a top 20 prospect in baseball. And he, you saw him kind of pitching pretty decently in the Cubs system, but it was always kind of tempered, like, well, he might, might be more of a relief arm or whatever. But to see him come up on in the doubleheader when the Cubs were having a problem, Drew Smiley had the oblique injury, and he comes out there and he kind of shoves. And he gave up a couple of runs, but it was his debut. I think that's a pretty awesome story, and I think it's pretty cool that no matter what happens in Anderson Espinosa's career from here on out, he's always going to have that moment in the sun at Wrigley, and I think that's pretty cool. Anderson Espinosa was a real interesting story in his time. He was that super young but super talented pitching prospect of which the Cubs have more than a few right now who was traded for big league help. And I remember uh, Red Sox fans at the time saying, this is what you do with guys like this. You treat them as a lottery ticket and you trade it for help at the, the big league level. And that kind of played out. He did not pitch in a game professionally 2017, 2018, 2019, or 2020. Between two Tommy John surgeries and then not pitching in the 2020 pandemic season, he went four full seasons without pitching in a game. And then he finally pitched uh, in a professional game again for the first time last season. That's insane to go four full seasons and two Tommy John surgeries and to not pack it in, to not give up, and to end up making the major leagues eventually. That's an insane story. Great for him. And it is kind of an interesting, I don't want to say cautionary tale, but it, it is kind of an interesting reminder of why that philosophy of don't be afraid to trade your young, raw, talented prospects for major league help. Tin Stap, Randall. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Absolutely. Tin Stap. That's T-I-N-S-T-A-A-P. There is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Actually, two P's. Okay, two P's. <laughs> T-I-N-S-T-A-A-P-P. There you go. A-P-P. Well, certainly a story in there of perseverance, and that's something that you celebrate in baseball. Uh, Rich Hill, a guy who had lots of injuries and ended up having a long, successful career. We would like to celebrate things like that. That's kind of what I was thinking about another debut here in the last week that's been really impressive. Matt Swarmer, 
for the Cubs. The guy's 28 years old when he makes his major league debut. A D2 college baseball player. Long shots to get to the major leagues. You get to the major leagues. You're at Wrigley Field, full house, Memorial Day against a division rival. Awesome story there. And you know what? He pitched all right on Monday night. He pitched pretty well. I agree with you. And he was always kind of a guy you saw having good peripherals in the minors. And you're like, is that guy an interesting guy or is he just an arm? And to see him come up and pitch well, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, Matt Swarmer, another guy who's been around forever, is a 19th round pick, if I'm not mistaken. Again, one of those names that you just see moving up through the, the minor leagues and you don't really give him a whole lot of thought, maybe because he's not the most highly touted prospect. And that's the way of things is your team needs a pitcher. You're a viable option and you end up in the major leagues and he would have pitched six innings of one run ball with a little better defense behind him. And this is a guy who, again, doesn't have a great fastball. His best pitch is probably that slider. And he would have had himself, he did have himself, a really good major league debut, would have had himself a better one with better defense behind him. And again, good for him. You love to see it. I love sliders. I think that's a really cool pitch. Call it the Carlos Marmel, right? When that pitch was on, it's one of the best or most fun pitches I think you can watch from a player. So to see a starter, older guy, 28, making his major league debut, it's satisfying. I don't know. There's certain pitches, Randall. Changeup is another one that's really grown on me. Awesome pitch. If you've got it down, the slider is certainly something that Swarmer has taken ownership of. You can think of all the great sliders in Major League history. You mm -hmm. can throw it ball to strike. You can throw it strike to ball, get a guy swinging at it as it drops off the table, freeze him. Slider is a very versatile pitch. And as you said, when it's well executed, is it fair to say it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing pitches when sure. it's well executed? Yeah. I'm a changeup fan myself. You mentioned changeups. I, like, I remember like the first time I remember GIFs or GIFs on the internet looking at pitches as watching Rich Harden kind of overlays with fastball changeup uh, when he was trading to the Cubs. And it was just awesome to see the fastball go yeah. straight and the changeup just drop off and they would both come out the same arm angle, same pitch trajectory. It was pretty cool. That was my next question, Jeremy. Now, are you a straight change fan or are you a, a Rich Harden <laughs> changeup fan where he uses it, used it as a breaking ball? He doesn't pitch anymore, not present tense. Well, I, I he a, used it as a breaking ball and dropped off the table, get guys to swing over the top of it. I'm a circle change kind of fan, Randall. I, I always like the circle changeup. Uh, you know, I think Kyle Hendricks has cool changeups. He's got like multiple changeups. But I always remember Mike Soraka, I think, on a White Sox broadcast around like 2000, showing his circle change grip. And I was like, you know what? If I ever tried to pitch, which I did a little bit in Little League, I, I obviously as like 12, 13 years old, not really being able to execute the pitch. But I, I'm going to try to throw a circle change. And real quick, as we're talking about guys, you know, in the minors making their view, two notes I want to pull from the minor yep. league system. Top prospect Pete Crow Armstrong, who we're all dreaming real big on uh, as a center fielder with elite defense, leadoff man ability and power. He finally got the call up to South Bend after starting the season at Low A Myrtle Beach. Good for him. And on that same South Bend team, pitching prospect DJ Hers, 12 strikeouts in a range shortened five inning affair tonight. I, we okay. keep saying it. There's talent at the low levels of the minor leagues and that's, that's high a. And so, you know, that's, that's moving up. These are both guys who are fast movers or look to be fast movers from here on. That's exciting to see. Yeah. And speaking of changeups, Randall, DJ Hurst with the Vulcan change. That's a pretty good one right there. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations and infinite changeups. Yep. Well, Jeremy, Live long and prosper. You know, you're talking about the pitch overlays. There's awesome Twitter accounts out there. Pitching Ninja, maybe the most popular one right now. You can look at the differences between a fastball, a changeup, slider, curveball, whatever, from these pitchers. And the ball gets halfway to home plate. It's in the exact same spot. 
And sometimes it rises and dips and turns. It just illustrates how impossible it is to make contact with the baseball, let alone to drive it with authority to put it where in the field you want to put it. There was a viral question that popped up on Twitter the other day, and I wanted to bring it into the uh, podcast here. By the way, our Twitter account, at BTYL Podcast. So give us a follow. But I saw this the other day, and the question was, you see different versions of this periodically. They go viral. But the question was, if you had a full season in the major leagues, let's say 600 plate appearances, would you get a single base hit all season long? No. The answer is no. No chance in hell. Not no even. chance whatsoever. I don't know that I would foul off a single pitch. Yeah. 600 plate appearances against major league talent, but I'm always laughing when these assholes on Twitter go, oh yeah, I could, I could knock one base hit in 600. You wouldn't even make contact with the ball. It's impossible. Well, yeah. First I would, you know, take pride in if I could stand in throughout it at bat, not just bail out with the fastball coming at me. And then if I ever made contact, I would just consider that as a home run. I don't care if it's a foul tip. I would just be like, okay, I made contact. I, I won. That's like Billy Crystal took an at bat for the Yankees in spring training some years ago. He fouled a pitch off and he considered that a victory. I think my, my one sole chance of reaching base over a full season would be taking a hit by pitch. And, you know, if, if that's a good fastball, I would just disappear into a puff of smoke and leave all my earthly possessions uh, in a pile on the ground and ascend that way. It, yeah. It yeah. No, no chance. Like Oof. that bird against Randy Johnson. Like Randy Johnson. And you know what? It's kind of disappointing. And you know, I feel bad calling it disappointing. I look closely at that video for the first time recently. The bird doesn't poof. Like it falls to the ground and just leaves a cloud of feathers behind. I always thought, it literally just disintegrated into a cloud of feathers. Not Jeez. the case. You can unfortunately see the uh, the poor yeah. cor- the, the corpse of that poor thing fall to the ground, but it did leave a cloud of feathers behind, poor thing. Well, you know, Randall, you tell me not to read the comments, but there's a pretty good reply that I saw in there, and it's a reply that you're going to actually chuckle at, I think. One of the responses was, I'd go 0 for 600, and I'm like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. But then he said, but if I see Garrett Cole in the first round of the playoffs, I'll go three for five <laughs> with a home run. I thought that was a pretty good response. Garrett Cole checks under his bed at night for Kyle Schwarber. Well, I'm issuing a challenge on this here podcast, podcast number 71. About a week and a half ago, I had the urge to get in the batting cages, and there's batting cages about 15 minutes from my house here, and I went. Boys, I was a little bit overwhelmed. I, I don't remember the last time. I think the last time I saw any type of live pitching was in grad school. So 2012, 2013 in a beer league softball uh, thing that we did after class in the middle of the summer. Right. I was overmatched in those batting cages. We're going to get to sluggers or something this summer when I'm back home into June. All three of us getting into cages. We're going to see who makes the most contact and right. we will record it. We'll talk about it on this podcast. The, the BTYL cages challenge. People say at least, you know, at least some people on this podcast should be in cages. We're going to, we're going to make that a reality. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it for sure. Uh, one other thing here before we talk about the upcoming series, a five game set with the St. Louis Cardinals injury front starting to hit the Cubs Suzuki to the injured list with a sprained finger, all the injuries that a guy like that could suffer. This is the one I'm probably the least concerned with. You have a oblique problem that can stick around all year. Back problems for hitters, obviously a big problem. This maybe is okay. A chance for him to catch his breath a little bit before coming back and returning to the team later this month. Yeah, we didn't, or at first, we, we weren't sure whether or not he would miss any time because he thought he would, he kept trying it, trying it out. He was even taking, you know, BP in massive amounts of pain. And they're like, okay, you have to go on 
the IL and he was still kind of fighting it. So uh, hopefully he just gets ready and he'll be back out there, but it's disappointing to see how many actual Cubs have been on the IL. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, You know, just, just a sprain, as long as it's not structural, you know, no, no damage to no big term damage to the muscle, no big term damage to the bone or ligament. Hopefully he'll be back sooner versus later. Like Jeremy said, he can take this opportunity to, to refresh himself a little bit. Well, Cubs homestand continues after the four game split with the Brewers five with the St. Louis Cardinals, including a doubleheader here Saturday this weekend and Randall's favorite Sunday night baseball from Wrigley field on Sunday night. Uh, Cardinals played pretty good baseball, eight games over their run differential is a positive 47. So hot Cardinals team at 29 and 21 coming in five games set Randall. Let's just be optimistic, right? Maybe the Cubs take three and piss off the Cardinals a little bit this weekend. I'm in favor of doing anything to piss off the Cardinals yeah. a little bit. Like make if you're if you're not gonna win, make it as inconvenient for them as possible. Cubs have split what the last three series. So yeah. let's let's I mean, you can't split a five game series, so let's sure let's play you, some you more hold games. you hold a lead through five innings of one of the games. So you win all right. You win two and a half games. <laughs> there you go. Two and a half games. Uh, let's, let's do a little bit better than that. Let's win three games. So let's be play more competitive baseball. I sure hope so. Uh, after this five game set a day off and then a road trip out East for the Cubs, two games in Baltimore four against the New York Mets. So, um, yeah, that'll be kind of it. No, I'm sorry. Uh, five games rather on the road trip, two with Baltimore, three with the Yankees. I had that two New York teams mixed up a little bit. So we're going to get a chance to see Anthony Rizzo next week in terms of the Cubs world, but we'll get a chance to talk about that before that series. What I'm curious about Randall is weather. What are we looking at at Wrigley field here for this five game set with the birds? Well, it is that time again, we give thanks to Alexander hall at Alexander hall of Cubs weather at Cubs weather for providing us the weather for the two upcoming series. So versus St. Louis at Wrigley field Thursday night, a seven Oh five local time game. Alexander notes this as a dazzler, our term for just a beautiful night at Wrigley, 72 degrees, partly cloudy, comfortable humidity, and the wind in from left center field at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Friday, a 120, beautiful day game Friday at Wrigley, clear, 72 degrees, comfortable humidity, and the wind blowing in with a little gusto to it from in from left center field, 15 to 25 miles per hour. Saturday, the doubleheader, 1220 p.m. and 605 p.m., partly cloudy, becoming mostly cloudy, mid-60s to 70 degrees near the lake both games wind will be off the lake 10 miles per hour slight chance of a shower late in game two and then finally sunday the 608 p.m as the cubs are on espn sunday night baseball Mm. partly sunny 72 (laughs) degrees coin flip or lesser chance for showers wind variable to in from left field at 10 miles per hour and then the two games in baltimore both have very similar forecasts both are uh, 605 p.m central time starts for both games tuesday and wednesday you can expect temperatures around 80 degrees a little bit humid partly cloudy with a slight chance for showers so uh, as always we thank alexander hall uh, of cubs weather for providing us the weather follow him at alexander hall follow them at Cubs weather. Well, hey, thank you, at Cubs weather. Something else that has stood out here, some beautiful sunsets at Wrigley Field here during this homestand uh, make me a little bit homesick here watching the games on TV. Wrigley's looked really nice the last couple of days. Uh, April, not a particularly good month for the Cubs. They went 8-13. and 13. May, 12-16. and 16. So the win percentage up a little bit in May versus April. The question I had for you both, what was your favorite Cubs moment here? 
from the month of May. And Randall, I want you to lead off for us. I will lead off. And appropriately enough, the player involved is also leading off for your Chicago Cubs. That is Christopher Morrell working a 3-2 count in his major league debut and first at bat, and then absolutely blasting one into the left field bleachers, almost onto Waveland out of Wrigley. There's a non-zero chance that is the highlight of the season, but it's easily the highlight of the May for me. Christopher Morrell home run in his major league debut. Cool. Jeremy, what do you think? I'm going last Saturday. I think just taking that game from the White Sox was fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, they should have probably won on Sunday as well, too. But uh, I think anytime you could beat the uh, rivals across town, it's uh, it's a big, big win, big feather in your cap. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fun, too, to beat up on the White Sox. But man, Sunday, frustrating ball game there. Wild, wild baseball game after pretty efficient first eight in- innings or so. Um, I think the thing that I wanted to highlight for me, Morell's home run is probably the best moment. I think you're right there, Randall. Um, I think what I've been maybe most excited by, Keegan Thompson's starting pitcher. We got three starts from him in the month of May. He went five innings in two of those starts. He's looked really good. He's been maybe the Cubs' best pitcher this year, all told, between starting and in the bullpen. He's been fantastic, and that's fun to see. The Miley's, the Smiley's, I know they're injured right now, but these are guys that are going to be traded in the next couple of weeks. Thompson feels like someone who's a part of this Cubs future, and to see him getting a chance to start after being so good in these extended relief roles, it's been very satisfying, and I'm excited to see what he does here in June. That's a that's a real good answer, Ronan. And uh, they don't call you the master of the foreshadowing transition for nothing, uh, because it so happens this is episode number 71. Yeah. Behind the yellow line. And uh, we have a segment that we do. Let's do it. Randall, 71. 71. Uh, last week, we were talking 70. Joe Madden, the only person in Cubs history to ever wear number 70. How popular is 71? Well, it has had only three wearers in franchise history, which uh, is still pretty remarkable when you consider how long the franchise has been around. And all of those wearers have come since the 2015 season. It was worn by pitcher Gonzalez German in uh, 2015. And then it was worn by, I think, an all-time underrated Cub, Wade Davis, who Mm. saved 32 games, I believe, for a 92-win Cubs team in 2017 that won the division, saved a third of their games, was really great. Then he went to Colorado, where pitchers go and be not really great. But Wade Davis, a guy who was really fun to watch in his one season as a Cub. And then, of course, presently, it is on the back of Mr. Keegan Thompson. So that is number Mm. 71, three wearers, um, at least two of which have uh, at least a little something as a Cub to their yeah. names. Number 71. Wade, Wade Davis, last Cubs pitcher to uh, throw a pitch in a, to for a Cubs playoff uh, series win. That, yeah. You know what? That is both correct and sobering. And a big pitch. That was a wild game against the Nationals. Uh, a big Wade Davis fan. Obviously, it was tough trading Solaire, a guy that we're all still big fans of, but the right thing for the Cubs to do at that point in time. Wade Davis. I bought a Wade Davis jersey for my brother, a Rockies Wade Davis jersey, $5 at Coors Field a couple of weeks ago. That's the deal on a Wade Davis jersey here in 2022. That certainly sounds right. And of course, you know, it's just a funny thing in numberdom across MLB. Wade Davis was 71 
for the remainder of his career with the Cubs in 2017, with the Rockies 18 to 20, and then one last stop with the Royals in 2021. He was number 71 uh, because he was 17 in his most formidable years with the Royals. And of course, by the time he came to the Cubs ahead of the 2017 season, there was already a pretty decent player wearing number 17. And so he just flipped the digits. And that's always fun to see a number them that a guy says, you know, I don't care what number I wear. I'm just going to flip those digits and yep. go out there and do my job. We got about two minutes to go here. Any final thoughts or closing things that we didn't get to tonight that needs to be said before we break? One, I hate the Rob Manfred rule. I'm sorry. I know the Cubs basically won on it tonight. It, it, but even when the Cubs win on it, 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 there's just that little black spot on the box score that that bothers me. I, I can't I can't abide by that rule. I know they're not going to get rid of it because the players like it, whatever. If you're going to keep it, please, please move it to the 11th or the 12th inning. That that's I, I just needed to get that off my chest. I can't I can't abide by the Manfred Ghost Runner. I'm sorry. That second base extra inning is uh, grinding your gears tonight, Randall. It's the Manfred man. That's what I like sure. that. The Manfred ghost, the Manfred ra- man, the Manfred yeah, the individual, Manfred man. whatever makes, you want to call him. It's not a ghost because he's real. So he's a man. Manfred is, he, man. Is, he, is he real though, Jeremy? Is he real? Yeah, he's corporal. Cor- corporeal. Corporeal. Okay, I, don't know, I don't know that he's a corporal. Maybe he's a sergeant. Speaking of sergeant, Sergeant Specter here. Give us a closing thought. Uh, closing thought, uh, go Cubs. I mean, let's just take three out of uh, five against the Cardinals. As I said earlier, I think, I think, uh, it's going to be an interesting series this weekend. So I'm, I'm kind of jacked for it. Maybe they'll win four out of five in this series. And this will be the catalyst to going on to a, a, a most unexpected playoff run. And somebody can write that book five nights in June at some point. Well, my closing thought here is Randall breathe a little bit this weekend. The Twitter got a little bit heated the last couple of days with the Brewers in town, five games set competitive Cardinals team, that threat of Albert hitting one more at Wrigley, certainly real. He's sitting over the ballpark here. So just breathe a little bit this weekend. Cubs are in Baltimore next week, so you can relax there for sure. There is zero chance that Pujols does not hit at least one home run this series, and a whole lot of years of trauma are just going to come flooding back to me. Like, you could kind of put it off when he was with the Angels. The Angels don't come back to Wrigley very often. Pujols came back with them even less frequently. Pujols back at Wrigley in a Cardinals uniform. There's going to be a whole lot of repressed trauma coming to the surface. All right, we're back next week after that Baltimore series. Cubs-Cardinals, first of five starting tomorrow. Let's go, Cubs. We're back with number 72 next week right here on Behind the Yellow Line.